Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. In the first uh, week and uh, second week and third week of this series, we've covered a number of uh, different topics. Uh, week number one, we discussed the idea that God owns it all. That God owns the earth and all that is therein. And so we see that, you know, we, uh, we teach the tithe here. We teach that we honor the Lord in many different ways. We can honor the Lord with our service. We can honor the Lord with, the, with our thoughts. We can honor the Lord with our words. And one of the ways through which we need to and should honor the Lord is through our finances. And uh, there is in the, in the Old Testament, the tithe, and in the New Testament, you actually see uh, people giving to the church beyond the tithe. Sometimes people would see a need in the church, and you saw that Barnabas, uh, he sold his property and gave uh, to the church. And uh, so you saw different things like that, but really, it's not just the tithe that is the Lord's, not just the 10%, but the other 90% is really also the Lord's. And uh, so we honor the Lord with the 10%, but really with the other 90%, we should also honor the Lord. And so we, we understand that uh, um, all of it really is the Lord's, and so we should approach and handle and deal with our finances in a way that would honor the Lord. Uh, the 10% would honor the Lord when we give it to uh, God through our local church, and also we would honor the Lord in the way that we would spend our money or save our money or invest our money. We also saw that no matter how much it is that we make and accumulate and save and invest here on earth, we leave it all behind. But Jesus gives a, a, a recommendation to us, which is don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And when we use our finances to glorify the Lord, then we lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Last week, we started to get into a few more specific uh, details in terms of, well, how do we approach our finances? Well, there's two, three major ideas, which is one, there's financial offense. If you're going to win in this game of finance, then you need to have some good offense. You need to earn some money, and, and God has given a way for us to make money. It's called work, and so we are to work. We are to use the hands and the, and the mind and the feet that God has given to us, and so we need to have some good financial offense, but Really, the key to success is to have good financial defense because it's very difficult to make a significant amount of money, right? If you make $50,000 a year, it's difficult to make that jump maybe from 50 to 60. Even if you're working hard, you're diligent, you're doing a good job, it's hard to make that jump. You're hoping for a raise maybe this year or next year. You get a promotion, you wait for that and things like that. But it's very easy to spend extra, right? You go to Amazon, and you see something, you just add it to your card, and then you see another thing, and you add that to your card. It's very easy to, to spend and spend and spend. And so if we're going to be wise, then we need to have some good financial defense. This morning, we are going to look at one of the dangers of what happens when you begin to gain some success in your finances. Let's say you're practicing some good financial offense and some good financial defense. Maybe you're working a little bit harder, and maybe you're, you know, uh, progressing. Maybe you're making a little bit more money. You're doing well. You're getting a raise here or there. Maybe you're getting a promotion. You're doing well in your financial offense. And you look back in the last couple years, the last five years, you're, you're, you're kind of, you feel good about your financial offensive 
uh, situation, and uh, now you're focusing on your financial defense, and you're thinking about, you know what, uh, this is how much I, I used to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars, you know, going out to eat. I'll cut back on that a little bit. I'll cut back maybe uh, $50. I'll cut back maybe $100. I'll cut back uh, maybe even this month. We'll, we'll just do a restaurant fast, and we'll just save that money and invest it, or we'll uh, give it to the Lord uh, towards a project. Uh, we're doing some uh, renovation here in the auditorium, and so maybe you're thinking, oh, this is something that will be great. And uh, so you're making some good headway, and you're, you're practicing some good financial oversight. So you're checking your bank account, your, your income, and your, your outgo, and your, your, your net, and you kind of see it building a little bit. There is a, 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 a danger that comes with that, and one of them is this uh, temptation that may come. And so I want to uh, take a look at several principles that are important for us. Number one, we need to be content. We need to be content. John D. Rockefeller, of course, uh, was uh, a, a well-known man because of his wealth. He was America's first billionaire. So what a, what a, what a name he had for himself. And uh, I read this story about a reporter who had asked him, you're wealthy, you've made a lot of money, you have a lot of money. How much money, though, is enough? And his answer was just a little bit more. And isn't that the case with finances? How much is enough? Just a little bit more. I want just a little bit more than I had before. Just a little bit more. Maybe you're making some progress and you're achieving some financial goals. Maybe you've got some debt that you want to get rid of and, and uh, you're, you're maybe saving up towards something and, and you're buying some new things that you've been hoping for. And, and there's a temptation that, you know what, I, I have this much, but I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. And we need to be careful that as we make some progress with our financial decisions, that greed does not crop up in our hearts. That we do not fall into greed and, and, and having this mindset of being rich and having riches and, and gaining more and being wealthy. We need to be careful of that. We need to be content. And that is God's admonition in the passage that we just read in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Because greed distracts from explicit function. Our explicit purpose in the Lord. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, we just read it. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You see what God's admonition here is in this passage, which is this. Our goal is to be godly, not to be rich. And there's a temptation that maybe when we gain more and we, we gain some success that our focus begins to switch onto gaining more and having more and building more wealth and having more riches. But greed can distract from our explicit function, which is we need to grow in godliness. And so that should be our goal. Greed also destroys the entrapped fallen. First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 8 says, In having food and raiment, let us be there with content. I won't spend too much time here, but isn't it interesting that our level of the minimum of what we should have 
seems to be a much higher level than what God is instructing here in the passage. Maybe what we consider to be normal and expected might be more than what God would even expect for us to be content with. And not to say that having other thing than food and raiment, it's, it's wrong, of course it isn't. But we should be, I think the point here is we should be content with whatever it is that we have. Verse number 9, though, says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Proverbs 1.19 says, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. What you see is that greed destroys people. We need to be careful. Because even if maybe a, a greed is not a, a, a something that troubles you too much, everybody has different temptations, whether or not you feel like you are greedy or not, it is a temptation to every single one of us. Let's just be honest. When you, when you look around and you see what other people have, isn't it a temptation? Boy, it'd be nice if I had that. Boy, it'd be nice if, if I were able to do the things that they did. Maybe you see somebody go on a vacation and they go on a trip and you think, oh, man, it'd be so nice if I would be able to do that. But I know just financially I won't, wouldn't be able to do that. Wow, look at the, the, them over there. Uh, maybe they're living in a nice place or they bought a new home. And you're thinking, wow, it would be, it'd be, it would be nice if, if I could buy a home. It would be nice if I could do that. Oh, it would be nice if I could get to eat at some of the places that they're eating at and going to the places that they're going to and buying some of the things that they're buying. It, it can be a temptation. And sometimes the temptation is maybe, you know what, it, it, instead of giving the tithe, maybe if I cut back a little bit, then I'd be able to experience some of those things. There's a temptation for greed, even in, in, in ministry, working at a church and things like that. I, I see my uh, peers I went to Bible college with some of them, or I saw some, some people that I knew that maybe graduated before me, or some even graduated after me, and uh, sometimes I see where they are in their life, and I think, boy, it'd be nice to have one of those things. I remember I, I was listening to a, a podcast, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast, but the, these two ministers, they, they were talking with each other, and one of them is from the L.A. area. He's, he's uh, pastoring here in the L.A. area. The other one was not. But they were talking about just different things. And I don't remember the topic exactly. But one of the things that he had mentioned was, you know, uh, L.A. is a great and needy area. We need more churches to preach the gospel. There's a lot of religious centers here, but not gospel preaching churches in the L.A. area. We need more. And so he was, uh, you know, kind of just trying to encourage some people to at least pray about coming here and uh, things like that. But he did say one thing, which is just to be honest. The L.A. area, it's, it's more expensive than many other places. And he said, you know, uh, maybe you come from a different area. Maybe your expectations are different. But if you come and you minister in the L.A. area, you just might have to leave behind that idea that you'll ever own a home while you minister here. It's just, it's just real estate is expensive. Running ministry is expensive. And so he currently is, is doing a great uh, work. And he currently, as far as I know, doesn't own a home. He's still renting and things like that. But uh, I'm sure that he sees some of his peers, and I see some of my peers, 
You know, I saw uh, some people that I graduated with, even somebody who graduated after me, and they went off to some place, and within two years, they bought a house. And of course, as soon as you buy a house, what do you do? You take a picture, and you put it up on Instagram, and you put it up on Facebook, and you show the world, hey, I got a new house, and you know what that does in some people is, I wish I had a house. Hey, I wish that I had a, a place like that. I, and, and uh, you know, it's like a brand new home, this big house, you know, two-story. And uh, I'm looking at that, I'm like, wow, that would be really nice. And, you know, Esther and I, we, we talk sometimes about, you know, hey, one day when we get a house, can we get this? Or what about this? And this would be so nice. Wouldn't this be so nice if, you know, when we get our home, I know we don't have a home, but, you know, when we do, you know, things like that. And, you know, it can be a temptation as you look on social media, as you see what your friends and peers are doing, when you see what your coworkers are doing, it can be a temptation. You know what? If I just follow their way, I'd be able to have a little bit more. I'd be able to do a little bit more. We need to be careful of that, that we don't fall into temptation because greed develops error in the faith. Ultimately, the point that Paul is driving at, that God is driving at uh, when he's uh, writing to Timothy is in verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many people have fallen from the faith because of greed. Many people have fallen away from God because they wanted just a little bit more. And sometimes it's easy to justify Sometimes people, it's easy to just say, you know what, I'm doing this for my family, right? I'm doing this for my family. Hey, I'm doing this for a good cause. But we need to be very careful that godliness, first of all, is our goal. And God was very concerned with this. If you look at the Ten Commandments, three of them deal directly with greed. Exodus chapter 20, we won't look at the verses, one of the commandments, honor the Sabbath day, right? Do you know why you're supposed to honor the Sabbath day? If you read it, God says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. You know what God is saying? He's saying there is one day that is reserved for rest and honoring of me. But there's a temptation. Hey, you know what? If I work just an extra day... I could get a little bit of an advantage. I could get ahead of my competition. And God says, don't do it. Be careful of greed. Another commandment, thou shalt not steal. Oh, man, look at what that person has, and I don't have it. Also, thou shalt not covet. We need to be wise. When I was at a Bible college up in Lancaster, uh, uh, at the time, he's not there anymore, uh, but the youth pastor was teaching a class. And I don't really even remember the class that he was teaching um, because I, this, he gave a story that was completely unrelated as far as I remember. But he was, he was teaching, and he was talking about um, uh, uh, the, the church there and uh, some of the ministries that had begun. And so they have, uh, they have their Life Connection classes. And, of course, it's a big church, so they've got a lot of different classes, a lot of classes for college students and young marrieds and, you know, all, the, all sorts of different groups. And, and uh, he had mentioned how uh, he, they had started a single ladies class, uh, a Life Connection class, a Sunday school class. And so they started the class, and uh, the, he said the class just exploded. It got filled quickly. 
And so they said, well, I guess we need another one. So they took the class, they split it into two, and both of those classes filled up to the point where they had to split both of those classes. So now they have four single uh, uh, ladies' classes. And he said, because it's not something that they would have expected, but he said, and this isn't, of course, the only reason, but one of the reasons that this happened, why there was such a need in that area was, here in LA, as I mentioned, property is expensive. You want to own a house, you got to maybe go out a little bit. And so a lot of people, what they would do is they would buy houses in the Palmdale, Lancaster area. So they would buy these houses and they would commute down to the LA area every day. Monday, come down, maybe go to the train station, come down, go back up, drive down and co go back up every day, Monday through Friday. And uh, if you've ever driven through that or, you know, I mean, it's a long commute. I mean, it's a, if you hit the traffic at the wrong time, I mean, there's traffic all the way up. And uh, so it might take you easily two to three hours to get up there. And it would put such a strain on the family because, you know, the dad or the mom or whoever's working and commuting, you would never see them. Monday through Friday, you never see them, never. They wake up early before everybody's up. They go down. By the time that they come back, the kids are gone to bed and, you know, uh, the spouse is tired or whatever. And so they would commute and they would go back. It would put such a strain on the family that the family would end up splitting. All in the name of family. They said, I'm doing this for my family, right? But what ended up happening was it ended up destroying the very thing that they were doing it for. So we need to remember that godliness should be our goal. We need to be content. Secondly, we need to be courageous. We need to be courageous. Because if we're going to do what God had said, we might have to make some decisions that are a little bit uncomfortable to us. Maybe some things that are a little bit different from what some other people are doing. You know, even some things as maybe downsizing or selling something. Sometimes we do need to muster up some courage and make some difficult decisions. We need to be courageous to add resistance to money. We need to be courageous to add resistance to money. Just a practical thing. I've been reading and, and watching some videos about different things. And, and it, there's, there's something fascinating. There's something called friction that's involved with the buying process. How many of you, if you have a membership to Costco or you go to, you go to some store, you ever go to Costco? I use Costco because uh, it happens to me every time. You go to Costco, the parking lot's always packed, isn't it? It's always packed. You go there as soon as it's open, it's packed. And so you walk in and uh, you know, in New Jersey, if we had a Costco membership, we would go at 10 o'clock as soon as it opened on Monday and it was fine. Here, it's packed, Monday, 10 o'clock. I don't know how there are so many people, but you walk in and you go shopping and you, you go as quickly as you can and you get to the register. And what happens there? It's a huge line, right? It's a huge line that just wraps around into the aisles, right? You know what I'm talking about. It just pours out. You ever, you ever gone to Costco and you're like, and you look at what's in your cart and you look at the line and you're like, I don't really need this. I really don't, you know? You ever go to a store, maybe you're at the mall, and uh, you're, you're just walking through, you're not really buying anything in particular, or maybe you are, and, and you, look at, you look at something, and you pick up this item, and you think, you know, I'm gonna go there, and you see the, 
the, the line for the register, and it's a long line, and you're like, next time, I'll, I'll be back next time. How many of you have walked into a mall and noticed that there's more than one Starbucks in the mall? You ever notice that? You ever been to a place and you see a Starbucks on one side and a Starbucks on the other? Uh, I grew up in the Seattle area, and uh, so there was a mall kind of close to where I lived. There were three of them in this mall. There's just a long strip, one Starbucks at one end, one Starbucks on the other end, and in the middle there's a kiosk for Starbucks. So in case you get tired from one end to the other, there's a pit stop in the middle. You can pick up some more coffee. And I remember other people saying, you have three Starbucks in a mall. Why do you have three Starbucks in a mall? I read the reason why. And I don't know if they still do this, but what they do is the, the district managers or people, they go through the stores, and if the line is too long, they open up another one nearby. You know why? They want to remove what I think is the industry wording that's starting to build friction. Disneyland has this thing where you have a band that you put on your wrist, all right? How many of you know what I'm talking about, okay? Okay, some of you know, okay, a number of you know what I'm talking about, all right? So you register this band, I guess, and everywhere you go, you wanna buy a Coke, you just, you just swipe the band and it charges. It's your ticket, so when you walk into the park, you just swipe it. And uh, your kid wants to buy a Minnie Mouse doll, you just swipe and, and you know, all of these things. And, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to remove the friction. There's also something called emotional friction. How many of you remember Pokemon Go? How many of you remember that? Okay. All right, everybody knows Pokemon Go, all right? None of you would admit to ever having downloaded it, right? But you know, we, all, we all had it and looked at it. We're like, I don't know what this is, but okay, right? And you saw the people, right? They're walking around. They're just holding their phone, walking around, right? What are you doing? Hey, are you playing Pokemon Go? Yeah, yeah, right? You know, and it was, you know, this big fad. The first day, the first day that it was in the store, they made more money than any other app in the, in the Apple App Store or in the Google Play Store. More than any, number one, first day. The thing is, the app was free to download, right? You didn't have to pay any of that. So how did they become number one? Well, they have this thing, and I won't go through the whole detail, but you can buy things in the store to help yourself get ahead, right? But if you've ever gone into one of these games, not just Pokemon Go, but some other games, they'll have some items where there's, uh, you know, you're trying to buy, I don't know, a gold coin to be able to bypass this difficult section. And in order to buy this gold coin, you have to collect all of these diamonds, and so you collect the diamonds, and then you buy the coin, and then you get past the level, right? And the thing is, it's very difficult to collect the diamonds, right? So they say, hey, you could just buy 12 diamonds for $4.99, and then you use a credit card to pay for the thing. And uh, here's the thing about that game, and games like it, which is the reason why they do it that way is because of a principle that they learned from real money, which is this. It's this idea of financial abstraction. We used to hold cash in our hands, coins, right? We don't do that anymore. Then we went to checks, and then we went to credit cards. Remember when credit cards, where they had the machine, 
they put the paper down, and they ask you for your driver's license, and then you're supposed to write down. Do you remember this process? Right? Now you just stick it in, and you just go, and you know, no signing, no nothing, and you don't even know how much it was. But there's a, a principle there, which is, if you have the money in your hand, you feel the loss that happens when you hand over an Abraham Lincoln or a George Washington. You feel that. When Benjamin Franklin goes from your hands to somebody else's hands, you feel it more seriously. And a credit card removes that sense of feeling. So I heard uh, Dave Ramsey, he's a financial kind of person, uh, has a Christian background, but I've heard this in other places. A completely secular video that I was watching had this principle. He said, on average, if you use a credit card, you will spend 12 to 18% more. On average. If you're in a fast food setting, 70% more. If you're at a vending machine, 170% more. Why? Because the less friction there is and the less tied down you are to the money, the more easily you spend your cash. Therefore, some still recommend this old-fashioned system called the envelope system. All right? This is so old that I did not even know this existed. <laughs> all right? It's the envelope system. You get in your money, all right? You get a paycheck, you cash it out, you split up the cash into your envelopes. Rent, you know, uh, utilities, grocery bill, restaurant. And you, you, you use the system. When you want to go out to eat, you grab the restaurant envelope. You say, this is so archaic. I know, all right? This is why you've got to be courageous if you're going to do it. But here's the thing about it, right? If we're serious about having good financial defense, you need to add friction. Because removing friction makes it easier to spend more money. So you want to make it more difficult. When you have a credit card, right? Or you're using Apple Pay now. Now people have it on their watches, right? You don't even need to think about it. You just swipe it and you don't even, and then you look at your credit card bill and you notice some things, right? You're like, I don't even know what this is. Why did I buy this? What is it? And then you look back, and you're like, why did I buy this? I don't need it. But it was so easy. You may need to add some resistance, some friction to your money. You may also need to act reasonably with your money or be honest. Sometimes we just have to be honest and say, you know what? That's out of my reach. There's a phrase that I heard uh, a little while ago that I really uh, enjoy, which is that we need to financially act, not our age, we need to act our wage. Whatever is our income, we need to act that wage. And it's very easy for us to try to want to act like a, a higher class, right? We lease a car. Or we'll just go buy some really nice clothes. Or we, we, we do payments on our phone. But we need to be content. Remember the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Right? Sometimes we try to keep up with the Joneses. But sometimes the Joneses aren't worth keeping up with. 
So we need to practice some good financial uh, practices and have some good uh, uh, lifestyle practices there. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly or with the humble is wisdom. If we want to handle our finances with wisdom, we need to be humble. Also, we need to abate the rulership of money. Because the more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you. The more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you. Because just, just having more stuff means it takes more work, right? How many of you, maybe you got a set of winter clothes and summer clothes, right? Every spring, every fall, what do you got to do? You got to switch everything out. You got to go down to the garage. You got to pull everything out. You got to fold everything and then put it away and then pull it out, put it on the hangers and put them in the, in the, in the dresser drawers and then you do all of that. You know, you have a lot of things. You got you to gotta clean them up. You know, sometimes uh, it's a blessing when people give Skylar toys, but sometimes that means it's just a bigger mess to clean up when she's done playing with all of those things. And uh, I had a, a, a friend of mine his, uh, in, in the Seattle area. His dad uh, owned a, a, a business and was doing very well, had a, had a big yacht, and I was, uh, you know, uh, it was, you know, he was doing well. He would go on vacations and all of these sorts of things. And, and uh, I remember him telling me something about uh, having a yacht, which of course I would never know anything about. Uh, but he said, owning a boat Let's say you buy a boat for, I don't know, how much do boats cost? Say $100,000. You buy a boat for $100,000. He said, whatever the cost of the boat, let's say it's $100,000, every year, depending on the size of the boat, the upkeep cost is between 10 and 30%. At a very minimum, you're spending $10,000 a year just to keep the boat usable every year. So you might be spending $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 a year. You've got to paint it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to fix the stuff and all of these sorts of things. And uh, the more stuff that you own, the more it occupies your time. I remember that guy whose dad owned the yacht every summer. His dad would get them, him and his brothers. They would go out, and uh, they would pull the ship out and uh, onto water, and they would have to, like, paint the hull. That was their summer job. They would paint the boat. That was their job. And there's a lot of upkeep involved there. And just to be honest, the more that we own, the more our stuff owns us. So we need to be careful. Thirdly, we need to be credit limiting. We need to be credit limiting. We need to limit our debt. If we're in debt, we need to be very careful because money is a great servant but a terrible master. Money is a great servant. When money is serving you, boy, it's great. And you can use it for some great purposes. And you see in the Bible, some godly individuals use it for some great godly purposes and accomplish great for the kingdom of God. You see that they would support the Apostle Paul as he started churches and things like that. You would see a lot of great things. If money is the servant, it's great. Money is a great servant, but money is a terrible master. I remember when I uh, went into ministry, I got called into ministry the summer that I graduated from college. And th there are some blessings and uh, some things that uh, I'm, I'm wondering about why God called me at that time. You know, why did I go through all of this college education and not use it? <clears throat> but one of the blessings that, uh, in hindsight, was, was really great about my situation was 
I graduated without any debt. So when God called me to ministry, I could leave immediately, no problem. Because I didn't have any debt. You know what the Bible says? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. When money is your master, then you're in trouble. I had a, 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 a the pastor of the, of the church that I worked or that I was uh, growing up in. He was the assistant pastor, and uh, he was the college and career director, and a, a very heavily involved in the ministry there. And uh, was there for a number of years. Great man, great family. Really enjoyed uh, his influence, and and uh, he, he was great. One year, he. The year that I was called into ministry was the year that he felt like God was moving him to another place. And so he was going to move to, this is in the Seattle area, he was going to move to uh, uh, a college in Oklahoma. Okay? So just so you're aware, this church that was there that was running the Bible college, they would buy properties around them to, in order to expand in order to have more space for Sunday school wing, in order to have more parking spots. This was at least 10 years ago that I talked to the pastor there. He said, we never spent more than $17,000 on a house in Oklahoma. I said, that must be nice. You could buy a house for $17,000. And so that was their frame of reference. So here's this man. He feels like he's called to move somewhere else and he feels like he's being called to this college. So they get in touch. And uh, he says, but I, I bought a house. I have this house that I'm still paying the mortgage on. I, I don't want to rent it out. I, I want to sell it so that I can move down there. And the college said, don't worry about it. We'll pay for your rent. Just come down, and we'll take care of it until you sell it. And he says, no, I don't think you understand. This is not Oklahoma. <laughs> Houses don't sell for $17,000, all right? His rent was, I don't know exactly, it was like $2,500, right? Or not his rent, his mortgage was $2,500. And it, they said, whoa, we can't afford that. And so he stayed there month after month after month after month until finally the college said, we can't wait anymore. We have to go with somebody else. And so he ended up, actually, I don't know exactly how this all works out, but he ended up at another, at another place. He's pastoring a church. The church is doing really well. I don't know exactly what or why or God's, you know, working there, but the point is this. Because he was tied down to debt, he couldn't go to the first place that he wanted to. I wasn't even uh, talking to Brother Robbie about this point, but he mentioned to me about he knew somebody who had went to a secular college for one year here in California. He got half of his, you know, bill paid for by, I don't know, scholarships or whatever, and then God called him to ministry after that first year. He went to Bible college for four years. He got out. It's been, I don't know, two or three years since then. So about six or seven years, he's finally now just paying off that debt from his one year at the secular college. Can you imagine if he'd gone four years? How limited he would be. He'd have to pay off the debt before he could go to Bible college, right? So we need to be careful about the debt. Because Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. 
don't let the credit card companies, the banks fool you into this idea that debt is just a tool. Understand that the moment that you get into debt, now you have another master. The master is the bank, or the master is whoever lends you the money. Now you have a master that you owe money to. So we need to be careful of debt. I know that sometimes, you know, and that's why, you know, for those of us that are raising children, we're thinking about college, be very careful about student debt. Number one, student debt is not something that you can get rid of. But secondly, you never know what God will do with your children. Remember, they're not our children. They're the Lord's, right? They're the Lord's. And we don't want to burden them with something that will hinder the direction that God may call them to. You know, I praise the Lord that, that I went to the college right by my home. I didn't live in the dorms, and so we cut down on a lot of costs. I just lived at home. I made that commute every single day, back and forth to school about an hour, every single day in the morning and at night. And uh, that saved me. That saved me from the debt that I would have accumulated in doing that. So we need to be careful about accumulating debt. Be very prayerful in the time when you're about to buy a house. Be very prayerful in that time. Be very prayerful any time that you use a purchase where you're going to get into debt. Be very careful of that. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 26 says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Proverbs 22, 7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Be very careful of it's particularly big debt. Small debt, though, is something that we use all the time, don't we? How many of you have a credit card? Okay, lift up your hand so everybody, we all know that everybody else uses a credit card, okay? I use a credit card, all right? I carry a credit card everywhere, all right? How many of you use that credit card all the time? How many of you are using credit card? Okay, all right. So we're all using our credit cards for the most part. That's debt, right? And I'm, I mentioned the friction part of it, and so I, I won't belabor that point. But how many of you, just to be honest, Part of the reason why you use the credit card is because you get 1% back on your credit card. You get 5% back on restaurants, right? How many of you are like, oh, I'm getting a great deal on this credit card. Boy, I'm getting 50,000 points just by signing up for the credit card, right? It's, it's very tempting. But just remember, credit card companies, banks, they know what they're doing. You know what they're doing? They know that if you use a credit card, you will spend 12 to 18% more. So let's say we take 15% more, right? How many of you are getting 10% back on your credit card purchases, right? Nobody, right? You maybe get 5% back, right? So you're spending 15% more in order to get 5% back. Isn't that what hap what's happening? We're spending 15% more in order to get 5% back. That's like, you know, go into the store, you know, buy two, get one free. I only need one. 
But if I buy two, I'm getting one free, so I'm going to pay a little bit extra. Right? You go over to the Starbucks. They have this, this rewards thing. You, you spend money, and you get stars, and you get, a, you, get a, you get a free drink down the line. And uh, sometimes they have these programs. You know, you sign up. If you buy six drinks, then you'll get 50 extra stars, which is half a drink. So I'm going to buy four extra drinks to get a free half a drink. Right? That's what they're doing. But that's what credit card companies know that we do this. That's why we need to have good financial oversight. Now, I know that for many of us, the way that we use our credit card is we use it and we pay it off. All right? If you're not paying it off, then don't use a credit card. Don't use it. That interest rate will kill you. You will have a terrible, the worst of financial masters is the credit card. All right? If you're not paying it off, then don't use it. But even if you're paying it off, understand, at least from the bank's perspective, they see this. You are spending 15% extra in order to get 5% back. All because of this whole frictionless system. Do you remember the first time that Amazon came up with one-click ordering? How many of you, the first time you thought that, thought, is it really so difficult to go click, click? You've got to make it one? <laughs> Why is two so difficult? But they also understand. The easier you make it, the more likely they are to buy. When I go to a grocery store, I enjoy it when they have the line where it's not a line, it's you check it out yourself, right? I don't care that I got to be the one scanning everything if I can get out of there quicker. You know, Sam's Club, they have this app. They have this app where you download it, you connect it with your account and your credit card, and you scan the items as you go. And then at the end, you don't need to stand in line. You go around the line at the end. You just show the person at the exit. They have a little thing that connects, and they check, and then, and then you're on your way. You know, I go to Sam's Club way more often because of that. I hated going on Sundays when we needed something here at the church because I knew the lines would be so long. I know that if we need ice here at the church, Sam's Club, it's right there, it's really cheap, it's really easy, but I don't want to stand in line, so I go to another place where it's more expensive because it's easier over there. And so that's what's happening is our culture, we're moving more and more towards a frictionless system. There are even countries that are talking about eliminating cash, right? Just to be honest, how many of you, you hate carrying cash, I hate carrying cash, I, uh, you give me change, I give it to my wife, or I, I, I throw it away, <laughs> you know, almost. You know, I'm like, I don't want these coins. I don't want to deal with these things. And, and uh, so that's the system. So we need to be wise because the culture is not for us saving money. They're for us spending it. Bank companies are not there to help us save money. They're here to help us to spend it. Stores, restaurants, all of these things, they're here to help us to spend more and more and more of it. So we need to be disciplined in our process. We need to be more careful. We need to have some great oversight. First of all, we need to be content. You know, if you're practicing some great financial offense and some great financial defense, that's wonderful. But just remember, your money should be used to glorify the Lord. Not for you to just raise your standard of living, not just for you to get to enjoy this present life. Just remember, no matter what happens in life, you leave it behind. 
There's a heaven that is coming that we need to be investing in. And so an increase in, 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 in wages, maybe a, a better financial defense, and you find some success in your finances, just remember, hey, this is an opportunity for us to glorify the Lord. And so we need to be content with what we have, with how much we make, the progress that we're making. Let's not compare ourselves with each other. You know, everybody in our church, just to be honest, we're at different financial stages in, in our lives, different levels. You might look across the aisle. You might look at your friends, and, and you just might be tempted. So you know what? If I just did what they did, then I'd have a little bit more. But that's not our purpose in life. Our purpose in life is to glorify the Lord. So we need to be content. We also need to be courageous. You might need to make some, some big changes in your life. You might need to change the way that you handle your finances. You might just need to do some things that people look at you and you're like, you're carrying cash around? You ever see somebody at the store and they write a check? They think, wow, that is so antiquated, right? That's the feeling, right? Who writes a check at the grocery store anymore, right? And you might feel like, what are they doing? Get with the times. And no. But, you know, honestly, if we use cash at the store, right? You ever see somebody and they're counting out all of their change? How much is it? 76 cents, all right. You know, they're counting out the pennies. One, two, three, four. You know, just give it to them. They'll count it, you know. You know, just give them a bill, all right? And get the change back, you know. But, hey, they might be just standing there trying to practice some good financial defense. They might just be saying, you know what? I got $40 to make it to the end of the month, and I got to be wise with how I spend it. I can't go into debt over this, so I got to be smart. We need to be courageous. Maybe make some decisions that are uncomfortable to us, maybe even uncomfortable to others. I mentioned last week, sometimes the reason why we spend more is even because of well-meaning people. You know, our friends, they're like, hey, let's go out, let's hang out, let's go do this, let's enjoy this, let's go out together. And, and uh, you know, the end of the month is coming, it's coming, it's coming, and you're getting squeezed more and more. You, you just might have to make a decision and say, I cannot do that because of where I stand. And you may not say that, you may not tell anybody, but you may have to make that decision. You might have to just make some decisions that are difficult for you, maybe even a... a, 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 a you know, maybe slightly complicating in some situations, but we need to be courageous and also be credit limited. Be very careful with debt. Very careful with debt. When you're about to make a big purchase with debt, be in serious prayer over it. Pray over that decision. Make sure that that is the direction that God would have you to go. In small decisions, just credit cards, be wise with the way that you use that. It's easy to go over and spend too much. We need to be careful. I believe if we practice some of these things, it'll help us in our financial situation really for the glory of God. Let's pray.